0: We are grateful that you're here at Ivy Creek this morning, and it is the close of spring break for most of us, and uh, a number of you have just gotten back in from traveling, and others are still on the road, and we'll be in this afternoon getting ready to start school weeks and work weeks, and we want to be in prayer for them, but we are grateful that you are here at Ivy Creek. Uh, We do miss Pastor Craig and Miss Caroline and their family today as they are not with us. Uh, and uh, Pastor Craig, I do need to give a disclaimer. Pastor Craig did give me uh, the out if I were to choose a different passage than to continue in Genesis. Uh, when we read this passage, if you have not read ahead, you will know why he gave me that choice. Uh, but um, I, I chose to preach this passage Uh, After uh, praying about it, I I really felt that there was uh, an important message to be communicated in the midst of uh, the uh, difficulty that this passage brings to us and uh, the challenges that it places before us. But if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Genesis chapter 34. Now last week, Pastor Craig did a great job of setting the stage for this passage as we learned about the sweet reunion between Esau and Jacob. Uh, and as they had uh, been estranged and then they had gotten connected back and as they reunited, and uh, it was truly uh, a great reunion of them and With uh, Jacob's family Uh, and it it was at that point that we um, heard and that we really saw in chapter 33 uh, verses 17 and 20 that we saw the old Jacob appear again and as Craig said last week Israel is still Jacob he does not follow through on his commitment to follow Jacob Uh, Esau to Bethel Uh, he does not obey God's command to go to Bethel and here we see the old Jacob he shows up and settles for a time in Succoth and then ultimately settling and raising his family in Shechem he buys land from Hamor the Hivite and raises his family there in the shadow of the city of Shechem he's technically in Canaan But he is 20 miles short of Bethel where the Lord had told him to go. He is almost there but not quite there. Now we're going to read the entire passage of Genesis 34. However, before we do I need to give you a word of caution and a word of warning. This frankly may be the most disturbing passage in all of Genesis and it's one of the more troubling ones in all of scripture it reads like the chronicle of a mob family rather than an account of God's chosen people. A few weeks back Pastor Craig titled one of his sermons Desperate Housewives I thought about titling this week The Sopranos looking at the scriptures Genesis 34 beginning with verse 1 now Dinah the daughter of Leah whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem the son of Hamor the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her, and lay with her, and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and his love and he loved the young woman, and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young woman as my wife and Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were in, with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. Then Hamor the father of Shechem went out to Jacob to speak with him, and the son of Jacob, or the sons of Jacob, came in from the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel. By lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done, but Hamor spoke with them, saying, "The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife, and make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us, and take our daughters to yourselves. So we shall dwell with, uh, so you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it, and acquire possessions for yourself in it." Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as my wife. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that which that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you. We will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people." But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. So the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of the city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male among us is circumcised as they are, as they are circumcised, Will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city heeded Hamor and Shechem, his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. Now it came to pass on the third day, when they were in pain, the two, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, Each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, and all their wealth all their little ones and their wives they took captive they plundered even all that was in the houses then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi you have troubled me by making me obnoxious or a stench among the inhabitants of the land among the Canaanites and the Perizzites and since I am few in number they will gather themselves against me and kill me I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But the brother said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, your word is beneficial to your people. Father, it reveals truth. Father, it reveals our story. And Father, I pray that in these next few minutes, that Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to each heart in this place. Father, reminding us of your grace and your mercies. Father, reminding us of truly how wicked the heart of man can be. Father, I pray that you would use this time for our benefit. Father, that you would use it, that your son would be glorified. And Father, we pray that we would make much of Jesus Christ this morning. In his name, amen. As you listen to that passage being read, possibly for some of you is the first time that you've heard that passage from the scriptures. Your response may have been kind of like When I asked my two oldest teenagers to read this a week or so back, I said, just give me your thoughts. Read chapter 34 of Genesis. We were in the car headed to the mountains. And in just a few moments from the back, my 16-year-old daughter said, oh, my goodness, Dad. I didn't know that was in the Bible. She's like, that is messed up. And I think we can agree. It truly is messed up. There is wicked hearts and messed up lives is what we read about this morning. You might even ask the question of why is this included in our Holy Scriptures? I've asked a comment or two over the past couple weeks while we've been studying this. But I believe that Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he does not hold back on showing Jacob and Levi who were his great 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 grandfathers in a candid and raw light the result is that we are confronted with the rancid sinfulness of humanity in particular the wickedness in the hearts and the lives of God's people which gives additional evidence of the divine origin of scripture and not merely to the human origin of scripture. The Bible shows the patriarchs and the heroes of our faith, warts and all. At Ivy Creek, we believe that all scripture is God inspired. And as 2 Timothy 3:16 states, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So by God's grace and the power of his Holy Spirit, we will see this morning what God has for our hearts and lives as we examine this frankly disturbing passage. After we have looked and we've read Genesis 34, when we look back at the final verses of Genesis 33, we have a little different understanding and attitude towards those last verses. Those last verses tell us that Jacob has remained in the fruitful and profitable land of Shechem, near a major trade route, and has chosen to raise his family here. And his approximately 16-year-old daughter, Dinah, goes out unaccompanied with the intent to see the daughters, or the women, of the land. We don't fully understand what that phrase or that label means, but it is not to be understood as virtuous. While while in the city, Dinah catches the eye of the prince of Shechem, who is also named Shechem. He seizes her, takes her, lays with her, and violates her. In short, she's raped. But then he attempts to woo her, by speaking kindly to her, by telling of his love and affection and strong feelings for her, he then commands his father, get me this young woman as my wife. As repulsive as this is to you and I, in some Mideastern cultures, this was a common practice of obtaining a wife. Taking a woman by force, having sex with her, thereby defiling her and making her unfit for marriage to anyone else. So now Hamar and Shechem come to Jacob to request permission to make Dinah Shechem's wife. Now there's no mention or acknowledgement on their behalf of what Shechem has done in this sordid account. There's also no record or mention of Jacob offering any response to these men. Instead, it is her brothers, Simeon and Levi, who respond and negotiate a marriage treaty with the men, which ultimately is a violation of God's command to be a distinctive and set apart people. But the brothers have a deceptive and vile plan of revenge. They proposed that every male would be circumcised. Hamor and Shechem accept the offer and go back to their city gate to convince all the men. Interestingly, they omit any mention of Shechem's infatuation with Dinah and the arranged marriage. Instead, they promote the economic and financial benefits of this alliance. As a result of Simeon and Levi's deceitfulness, this will be the last alliance made by the city of Shechem following the brothers vile and ruthless acts Jacob only offers a weak rebuke filled with self pity and a desire for self preservation I concur with Kent Hughes who sums this up what a mess this is and the whole thing is Jacob's fault Jacob's almost obedience is disobedience. And here we find our first point on your outline this morning. Jacob's partial obedience. By settling in Shechem and then, uh, by by settling in Sokoth and ultimately then in Shechem, Jacob is not in Bethel where God had told him to go. He's about 20 miles away. About one day's journey he fell short by one day so then we must ask the question why did he stop what kept him from making that one day's trip to where God had told him to go and where he had even told Esau that he would go possibly It could be that he didn't fully trust Esau. Could be that he didn't wanna live that close to his brother. That the old wounds of their relationship would ultimately fester up and create problems for he and his family. Or maybe it was just simply the old adage, it's the economy, stupid. We've already heard that Shechem was along a fruitful and profitable trade route which also had good and ample fields for Jacob's massive flocks and herds. But whatever the reason, Jacob's half-hearted obedience sets in motion a series of events that highlights the wickedness of the human heart. Partial obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience, and the consequences, as we're going to see in a few moments, are tragic. The next things we the next thing we see is is Jacob's favoritism. In the first verse of chapter 34, Dinah is introduced as Leah's daughter. I believe this is incredibly significant to our understanding of this passage and the events that unfold here. When Moses does not refer to Leah as the daughter of Jacob at this point, at the introduction of this chapter, I believe he wants us to fully understand that Dinah is the daughter of the unloved, Leah. We have already seen hints of Jacob's favoritism towards Joseph in chapter 33 when he placed the maidservants first in the line to meet Esau and his 400 men. Behind the maidservants, he placed Leah and her boys and Dinah. And then at the very end, in the most secure location, he placed Rachel and at that time her one son, Joseph, as Benjamin has not been born yet, in the rear that they would have the greatest amount of protection. I don't think that was missed by Leah or any of the children. In chapter 37, we will see Jacob's favoritism rise to new heights and Joseph. With Joseph, and the results of this dive to the greatest of lows. We see Simeon and Levi's anger and frustration with Jacob's lack of concern and interest in Dinah's welfare boil over in the final verse that we read in chapter 34 when they exclaim, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? And Jacob says nothing. Jacob remains silent. Which leads us right into our third point in this passage. Is Jacob's silence. Jacob's silence is silent as his daughter is fraternizing with the girls of Shechem. Then he's silent again when he learns of her defilement. It is Dinah's brothers, Simeon and Levi who were grieved and angered and condemned the actions of Shechem by saying this is a disgraceful thing and a thing which ought not to be done. But we are simply told that Jacob, Jacob simply held his peace. As a dad of a 16 year old daughter, I candidly do not understand those words to describe Jacob that he held his peace. Jacob's daughter had been raped and he had nothing to say. He seems he remained silent as Dinah's brothers negotiate her marriage and virtually a marriage treaty between the Shechemites and Jacob's entire family. We still hear nothing from Jacob. But then when Jacob finally does respond and speak, in verse 30, we may just wish that it would remain silent. And in the, our fourth point, Jacob's response. get Hughes, he describes Jacob in this way. He says Jacob was pathetic, for what he did not say. He did not condemn the massacre, neither did he condemn his sons for breaking the law of the lex talionis, which we know as an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In verse 30, depending on your translation that you're holding, Jacob uses seven to eight personal pronouns in his chastisement of Simeon and Levi. Let's hear it again. You've troubled me by making me stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves toward, uh, together against me and kill me i shall be destroyed my household and i we see jacob at this moment at possibly his absolute worst we have seen him as a deceiver a thief and a con man but here we see a heart of selfishness and disregard for his family and for others which is is frankly painful for us to read He's Abraham's seed, and through him all nations of the earth would be blessed. But as Derek Kidner states, For Jacob, only fear for his own hide or self-preservation will open his ears again to God's call to Bethel. Through Jacob's silence, his heart of selfishness and disregard for others is revealed before we move on in your outline, I want to take just a pause here of application. Frankly this may be more for for me than it is for anyone else, but I dare say that it possibly could be for others. But men, as fathers and dads and granddads, men we must learn from Jacob's mistakes. A great temptation that men face is passivity. If we wait just long enough, someone else will do what needs to be done. Oftentimes we're willing to let our wives do the heavy lifting of parenting in our homes, especially with our daughters. This would not, this should not be. Our sons and our daughters need to hear from us as dads related to what is acceptable, right, and just. We must avoid the temptation to show any type of favoritism among our children. Every child that God has given us is different, unique, and in his or her talents and giftingness, they are a great gift from God. Dads, we must be committed to be fully engaged, with each and every one of our children even when they may not want us very engaged with them because we see in the passage that's before us some grave consequences of actions and inactions in the life of a father again those words may not be any, may not be for anyone other than the speaker. But I trust the truth of God's Word, speak to our hearts and challenge us to be godly men of action and godly men that stand up for what's virtuous and right and to protect those who are in our care and in our charge. Now we move on to the consequences of Jacob's actions. As Pastor Craig said last week, partial obedience leads to trouble and pain. Until now, much of Jacob's folly and disobedience has mostly only affected him. But as Kidner points out, by halting his own pilgrimage... Jacob has endangered others more vulnerable than himself. The consequences in chapter 34, tragic. First we see a daughter is defiled. Dinah, his only daughter that we're told of. In this passage, we're told that Dinah went out. This phrase in the Hebrew carries with it an understanding that she left. That she left without her parents' knowledge and certainly left without their approval. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, states that Dinah went to get acquainted with the Canaanites and to learn their ways. Whatever the circumstance was, she left unchaperoned to meet the women and daughters of the land, which, as we stated earlier, that description is not to be a flattering term. For these girls. But as a result of Jacob's partial obedience and his choosing to raise his family near the valley, in the valley near Shechem, he subjected his daughters and his sons to the temptations that they would face. And then ultimately he subjected Dinah to where she would ultimately fall prey to the lust and self-gratifications of a young prince who saw her, who seized her, who violated her and defiled her. We have to wonder how Dinah's story would be different. What would be different about her story if Jacob, if her dad had fully obeyed God and went on that 20 miles to Bethel? Second consequence that we see here is Jacob's, a consequence of Jacob's actions is that a holy sign of God is weaponized. A holy sign of God is weaponized. Circumcision was given by God to Abraham as a sign of God's covenant and blessing on his chosen people. But in Jacob's silence, he permits his sons to negotiate a treaty with Hamor to intermarry ultimately the boys use the holy sign as a means to deceive Hamor and Shechem here we see that the boys have learned well from their deceiving father promising only to give their sisters hand in marriage if all the men of Shechem will be circumcised and to, uh, to, serve, to seal this treaty here there's no mention of God there's no mention of his promise his purpose nor his plan for the sign of circumcision in the life of his people instead Simeon And Levi used this holy sign of God as a weapon to annihilate the men of an entire city. One commentator has summed it up this way. The sign of the covenant of God was appropriated by Shechem to gratify his lust, by Hamor to increase his cattle, and by the sons of Jacob as a cover for murder. All the while, Jacob is silent. Next, we see a city is massacred and decimated. Simeon and Levi exact brutal revenge on the entire city. Through their deceitful plan, these brothers premeditated the slaughter of all the men of Shechem. Using the covenant sign of circumcision to gain a great advantage and leave the city vulnerable and without defense as all the men were sore and in pain and left incapacitated by the procedure. Throughout this passage, we are reminded of the great wickedness of the human heart and the mess that it makes of lives. But then we continue to read and we see the low of the lows. It was not enough that the two brothers had massacred the men of the city. But then their other brothers, the other other sons of Jacob, come behind them and plunder their homes and fields, taking their wives and children and all their possessions. Shechem is decimated by the chosen people of God. And it is just as Jeremiah said, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? These horrific and wicked events point to the need of the covenant law that would be given through Moses. And ultimately to the one who was to come. Who would perfectly fulfill and complete the law and would be our great redeemer the final consequence that we see in this passage is we see sons lose their blessing and their inheritance James Montgomery Boyce states no one mentioned in chapter 34 appears in a favorable light but it appears that Simeon and Levi that they are let off the hook for their wickedness and sinful behavior with a somewhat rambling and weak rebuke of their father. However, in Genesis 49, we see the consequences for Simeon's and Levi's actions. The scene is Jacob's deathbed, and he is blessing his sons. Beginning with verse 1, we're told, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. And then, in verse 5, we see the consequences to Simeon and Levi and their descendants. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they killed men. And in their self-will they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. The consequences for the cruelty and anger will be the loss of their blessing, the loss of their inheritance, not only for them, but for their descendants. We're going to learn more about that when Pastor Craig gets to chapter 49 and fleshes that out. We'll see, even in the midst of that, we'll ultimately see God's grace and his mercy on these brothers. But we see in those words from Genesis 49 that there's consequences for the wickedness of our hearts. As we come to a conclusion this morning... I'm sure you can agree with me that we're we're appalled by the grotesque and horrific behavior of virtually every person in this passage and especially Jacob and his sons. We're struck by the same truth that Pastor Craig shared last week. Our only hope is in Jacob's greater son. Jacob's greater son, Jesus Christ. Who never partially obeyed, who never deceived, who never murdered, who never sinned in any form or any fashion. That is who yours and my hope rests solely in. Earlier this morning, will let us in a hymn. A hymn, His mercy is more. The lyrics state it this way. What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins they are many. His mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam, what father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We, should, we stood beneath a debt we could not afford. Our, mercy, our sins, they are many. His mercies is more. As hard as Genesis 34 has been for us to read and hear this morning, it should give us great hope. It should give us great hope that God is gracious and merciful to us as his people. Yes, our hearts are capable of grave and great wickedness. But the mercy and grace of our Lord is much, much more. Through Christ, our gracious Redeemer, we can experience forgiveness and redemption. Yes, there are still great And grave consequences that we face but God still desires to give us a future a hope and a purpose you see in your sermon in a sentence there a lack of complete obedience leads to grave consequences for us and for others and highlights the great need we all have for a gracious Redeemer in Jesus Christ see Genesis 34 Genesis 34 shines a bright light on the wickedness of the human heart and the mess that our sins and disobedience make. But do not lose heart. God's grace through His Son, the perfect sinless Lamb of God, is always more sufficient. No matter how wicked our hearts are or how messed up our lives have become, The truth of the gospel is this. Our sins are many, but yes, his grace and mercy is more. Praise be to God. Let us pray.